The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy. Welcome to Camp Creek, a podcast about anthology horror. Starting with Tales from the Crypt. Hello, I'm Camp Counselor Lauren Jewell. And I'm your least favorite Camp Counselor, Tish Delano. I can see you. I can see you. We're, we're trying a new setup, and it's a love fest over here. <laughs> it's not even February yet. Right. We are prepared for Valentine's we Day. We are. Yeah, we're trying a new setup where we're using the mic I got for Christmas, which has a setting where we can sit across from each other. Instead of Tish over here by her lonesome and me at my desk, and yes. we can't actually see each other because there's a laptop and our own microphones blocking our view. Yeah, we're trying this out. Hopefully it works. I, I like it. All right, do you want to get into the bulletin board? I would love to. All right, time for the bulletin board. So first we have a mystery solved thanks to some listeners. Yay! Yay! Thanks, campers. Yes, thank you to Jen Debler and Betty Snow White for solving my personal mystery of the tiny horse (laughs) sideshow. I'm so happy. I am so happy that someone knew what the heck I was talking about. I first I got a text from Jen that said, Dude, I remember a tiny horse at the fair with a sideshow. They had the living doll and some sort of lizard thing. I think it was like one of those dwarf teacup horses, but you viewed it from a distance. I've been trying to find it online from the early 90s, but I can only come up with the Jim Rose sideshow from Lollapalooza. So that was step one to unraveling the mystery of what I possibly could have missed out on. And then I screenshotted Betty Snow White's response. I saw the tiny horse at a sideshow. It was essentially done with lights and mirrors and was basically a reflection of a full-size horse made to appear small. So now you know and you did not miss much. So thank you to both of you for validating my (laughs) incredibly fuzzy memory and not a figment of my imagination, but a real thing and that I actually missed out on nothing did not waste my tickets on seeing the optical illusion. (laughs) But, but, Camp Counselor Tish, for your birthday this year, if a sideshow were to come through town or be drivable distance, I will take you. Yes. And if it's there, I will be recording the entire (laughs) experience. We will, we will see the tiny horse. (laughs) So I am scared of horses because I got bit by a horse as a kid. Um, Okay, they're huge, okay? I'm so small. You're Uh, so small. Yes, I am very small. And every time I've tried to overcome this fear and get near a horse, I've been bitten again. So it's my goal to meet a friendly horse and like pet it and kind of get over that phobia because my 30s that was my theme was you know get over my fears Mm. so yes that is my goal take a tiny horse i think i can actually help you with this goal (gasps) yeah because i know a handful of the jousters at the michigan renaissance festival and some of those horses are so cute and yes alexis if you're listening to this podcast i will be messaging you very shortly Yes, conquering my fears! (laughs) And the only note for campers on this week's bulletin board is in case you decide to watch this episode at home, there is a little bit of 
male nudity. Ooh. We get some butt. Some man butt. Man butt. Double man butt. I prefer the man butt from Lover Come Hack to Me, but that's a different situation, and we will cover that later in this episode. He had a real nice butt. All right. Are you ready to go creeping through that crypt? I am ready to go creeping through that crypt if you are ready for a creeperosity. I am so ready. Okie dokie. This week's creeperosity comes from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And before I tell you what it is, I just want to take a moment to point out that their website, Mm -hmm. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, well, their website title is an acronym. Okay. Uh, Well, it's CHOP. (gasps) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, no. Yeah. So this is from their website, chop.edu. And I thought that was a little unfortunate. (laughs) Oh, boy. Maybe maybe spell it out next time. So, conjoined twins are twins that are born with their bodies physically connected. Conjoined twins occur in every 50,000 to 60,000 births. Approximately 70% of conjoined twins are female and most are stillborn. Aww. Yeah. I, I mean, I... I probably also should have said this was a little bit of a, a doozy and a bummer. I apologize, but are the creeperosities ever that exciting? Campers? I mean, they're exciting. <laughs> Usually they don't involve dead babies, but they're exciting. Yep. Well, <laughs> happy Sunday, everybody. This is Season 2, Episode 17, My Brother's Keeper. And this is your synopsis. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is based off of the 16th issue of the Shock Suspense Stories. Brothers Frank and Eddie have always been close. Really close. In fact, they wouldn't have an option either way because they're conjoined twins. They've gone pretty far in life like this, but there is a doctor that may be able to give them their own lives. If only both were on board. Anyways, pump up the jam because shenanigans ensue and everybody gets what they deserve. Heyo! So the episode opens on the Crypt Keeper being lit by candlelight. Super dreamy. Those baby blues really pop in the candlelight. They do. They give you some ideas, don't they? They, yes, yes, they did. Specifically, I was like, ooh, my next self-portrait photo shoot, I'm going to light some candles. So, heads up, campers, if I die in a fire, no, it was for, it was for my art. <laughs> I will supervise you. <laughs> How about that? I'll have some buckets of water, maybe invest in a small fire extinguisher. Right. No, all for the name of art. It's all for the art. He gets spooked by his own reflection. And yeah, that basically sums up the opening. Yeah. And we get into the episode. We open on someone destroying the transmission on a red 1974 Dino 308 GT4, which is a Ferrari. Goddamn, that was very specific. Yes, I did find that link to that website that I'd found many moons ago that breaks down every vehicle used in a TV show or movie. I mean, specifically, I had bookmarked for the Tales from the Crypt one so I could identify when I see a cool car. So the driver is Frank, who is driving like an old lady, according to his brother, Eddie. I would be too. If I had a fancy-ass car like that, I would be so overly cautious, but maybe not quite to his level. Like, seriously, you can hear the transmission, the noises the transmission is making is not good. Not good noises. I would be very upset. Speaking of transmissions <laughs> that don't make great noises, you've heard my vehicle. Yes, the sounds your vehicle makes make me weep sometimes. In conclusion, campers, camp counselor Lauren here needs a new engine, but I'm cheap and I'm just not gonna do that right now. It's valid. So, 
There's something a little bit off about these two because Eddie, who is in the passenger seat, throws his foot on top of Frank's and now is slammed on the gas and they are speeding like crazy. Yes. Narrowly avoiding accidents. It's pretty scary. Eddie tells Frank that he'll let off the gas if Frank agrees to see the doctor that he found. Hmm. What kind of doctor? Whatever could they be talking about? And Eddie hits the brakes literally just before they're about to slam into a parked car. And they kind of make it into a parking spot. Frank says that no doctor can help them with their problems. And Eddie says, problem, Frank. We only have one problem. And I gotta admit, it's a beaut. (laughs) Frank is a little bit more accepting of their situation and doesn't like that Eddie always refers to them as freaks. But they happen to move wonderfully in sync with each other as they exit the vehicle and Something is a little bit different about these two brothers. Yes, you see two legs get out of the car, and then suddenly there's four legs, because they're conjoined twins! Whoa! So Frank is trying to get Eddie to accept their condition. This is the way they are, but Eddie is having none of it. And they hand off the keys to the valet and walk into a very loud club. I love the valet's (laughs) face because he's just like, what the fuck did I just see? He's like, wait, what? What? Oof. And through their conversation, Eddie reveals that they are attached by the ass. Yeah. They're just ass. In for a bad time. <laughs> and just in case you are not planning on watching along at home and you've got a certain visual in your mind of people being attached by the ass, it's by like the sides of the cheeks, not like ass to ass, not like front to back. Yeah, yeah, or hole to hole. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just got, in my brain, I am visualizing them back to back. And like, they would be such a great pair to have on your paintball team because you would always have somebody to like watch your back. Literally. <laughs> yes, there's no human centipede situation going in here. It's 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 like the side to side, hip to hip almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, except it truly is down onto the ass cheek. Yes. So the two continue to move in sync with each other and they go to sit at the bar and Frank reminds Eddie that if he drinks, then he is the one who feels it. And Eddie does not give a flying fuck. In fact, he makes his whiskey a double or whatever it is he was drinking. So Frank picks up a book and starts reading and the woman next to him comments that she thought she was the only weirdo who read at the bar. But it's a club. Like, a bar? I can, yeah, totally. I've done that too. I've totally busted out a book. I'm like, whatever. But in a club where the music is pumping and Mm -hmm. people are dancing, that's a little, that is weird. Yeah, the lighting at the bar they're at is not great. No. So, it turns out they're reading a book by the same author, and Frank is reading one called Man's Hope, and the woman makes a joke, which I adored her for, <laughs> and she says, it must be fate, because that's what she's reading. She's reading Man's Fate. And the woman is Marie Hilton, and they're really hitting it off, but then Eddie butts in <laughs> and starts legitimately creeping on her. Oh yeah, he refers to her as Marion the Librarian, which is now stuck in my head. And there is a line that Eddie uses throughout the episode. And he says, you know, blank, I bet underneath that, insert whatever the person is wearing, is a studded leather corset ready to burst or whatever. And that is one of my favorite lines from Tales from the Crypt in general. Yes, he's very obsessed with the idea of the studded leather corset. We'll we'll come back. Yeah, we'll come back (laughs) to that in in a little bit. He manages to get 
Eddie to lay off. Uh, Frank says, well, you know, Eddie's got all the personality, as Eddie is now making obscene tongue gestures at other ladies in the club. Marie, this is an iconic line. Marie says, if that's personality, he can have it all. Frank asks Marie if maybe they've met before, and she says no, but says, hey, have you been to the symphony? Camp counselor Tish. Yes, camp counselor Lauren. I have a pop quiz for you. Sure. How many trips to the bar equal one symphony? Three! Yep, that's it. Three trips to the bar equals one symphony, and Marie doesn't quite understand why they have to do everything together, but before Frank can even explain, Eddie whisks them away to the dance floor. Yes. Eddie insists that they dance because he's met a gal, and Marie, despite being a bookworm at the club, agrees, and nobody notices that they are conjoined. At first. Not at first. (laughs) Can we talk about the song that is playing though? Yes, thank you because I am still really angry about this. The song in the background is called Stuck on You and it's super ironic and hilarious and I watched this scene five different times tried to do a lyric search can't fucking find this song. Yeah, I'm thinking they literally may have just made a song. It's very it kind of 80, like 80s country. It's very out of place in a club. But yeah, it's definitely got very strong 80s vibes to it. But yeah, if anybody knows this song, it's just a woman saying, all I could, all I remember is a woman singing Stuck on You. I remember one of the lines is like no matter where you go, I'll be there because I'm stuck, stuck, stuck on you. But here's the thing. It's not the what oh what oh stuck on you mm-hmm. it's not that one and i don't remember who sings it but i know it's a country singer group thing it's not that so as the weird stuck on you song is playing the boys start dancing and they have some very out of place dance moves that nobody seems to acknowledge are out of place so it's like a cross between like the irish step dancing <laughs> and like like li- like almost like line dancing which i mean line dancing Haha, <laughs> they're kind of standing in a line. Hey-o. Yep. I mean, they do have some moves. The, the boys can dance. It's just really out of place in a 90s dance club. They tried. They they did their best. So while they're dancing, Marie was about to move between them, but instead she got stuck on them where she was shocked to find out that, oh shit, you're joined. At the ass. At the Yes. <laughs> yes, and Eddie's dance partner also now notices the part where their pants connect and everyone immediately is like, whoa. Yeah, it's one of those moments where in a movie, if there was like a scratchy noise of a record stopping, that would be what just happened here. Everybody's looking at them. Frank and Eddie inform the ladies that yes, they are conjoined twins. Eddie tries to get Marie to consider a three-way by asking if she wants to do the four-legged lambada. Now, what is that? The four-legged lambada? I know what Eiffel Tower is, but I do not know what this lambada is. Lambada is a dance. Oh. Yes. So the four-legged lumbata means both of them, and yeah, he's using dance to be like, hey, baby, you know, you want to come back and bang both of us? I thought it was a sexual position. My apologies. (laughs) I just assumed. So she does what I think most of us would do in that position and leaves, and everyone at the club is now staring, which is, uh, that makes me feel bad for them. That that is unfortunate. In the next scene, we are at a doctor's office that Eddie was telling Frank about, and we find 
find out that conveniently for the brothers, they pretty much have their own everything, including the penis, which I feel like was really the main takeaway of his concerns. Yes. But the biggest potential flaw in an operation to separate them is that they share the same bloodstream. The section that connects them is a dense entangled web of veins and arteries. So there is about a 50-50 chance that they will make it through the surgery and be successfully separated with neither one of them dying. Frank sees it as a glass half empty and Eddie sees it as a glass half full. And right now I am on Team Eddie because if there was even a chance to not be conjoined, I would go for it. Yeah, especially since they are polar opposites. All all they've been doing this entire episode is fighting and arguing with each other. Just a little note here that behind the doctor, every time the doctor <laughs> is speaking, and we both notice this, it is the famous painting, Edvard Munch's The Scream. Every time you see the doctor, it is literally right behind his head. I'm like, that is not a coincidence. That cannot be a coincidence. I feel like it's like very uh, foreshadowy that like... Here's the madness you will all be going through throughout this episode. Yeah. Let's just point this out. Yes. And the doctor is very disappointed to find out that they are not on the same page about the surgery. And Frank says he just needs more time to think about it. Mm-hmm. The doctor says, when you are ready with the pen, I shall be ready with the knife. Ah, surgeons. They just can't wait to slice you open. Slice and dice, baby. Slice yeah. and dice. This is where I have some issues. So they're back at home mm-hmm. and the brothers continue to do things synchronized. And it's very impressive, such as the way they use the bathroom to pee. I was a I wonder how long it took the actors to, like, figure out how to move in sync so well. However, I don't love that they are wearing their pajamas and then they start working out. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Like, so they're wearing these little car print jammies. <laughs> they're real precious. They, they, yeah, they look like something that would be on, like, a seven-year-old. They're very cute, though. And yeah, and also, why is Eddie trying to take a sleeping pill, but then they're still gonna go work out? Like, that was weird. So they're brushing their teeth. Eddie wants to take a sleeping pill. Frank wants to stay up and read. We have some questions for you, siblings. We have some questions. One of the things that Eddie lists to Frank that he can do is sleep in his own bed, turn over, go to the fancy culinary school in France. Yes, never having to go to a baseball game again. Or Vegas. All of these sound like pros to me, but you know. So Frank is a super cautious twin and he says the operation is just too risky. So Eddie, the more impulsive twin, Mm -hmm. grabs a meat cleaver and pulls down their pants, which is when we see double man butt so we can get a back view of their connection to each other. And one of you. Yes. And says that either Frank signs the release or he's going to do the surgery right then and there. Now time out for a moment. Sure. Because when Eddie reveals the release, I want to know, when did he have time to like put it in a fancy dish and then be like, bam, sign it. Right? Because like Frank is right there with him. How can he surprise Frank with anything? Yeah, this is one of those many like plot holes I feel like are in this episode, which I have so many more in like 10 more minutes. Right? Because that's the thing. Throughout the episode, Eddie is constantly surprising Frank with the release form, like, because he's hid it all over the house, apparently. Maybe mm-hmm. he made copies. Who knows? <laughs> but it's like, how did you hide it there without Frank noticing, unless Frank is so used to zoning Eddie out? Which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> I mean, he does do a pretty good job of zoning him out. Yep. But still, yes, I, I call, I call shenanigans there. And we shall now continue with the scene. We yes. are back from our side quest. <laughs> we do get a really good view of the connective part. I'm going to admit, <clears throat> it looks like a, um, I wrote, flesh bridge. 
for a fleshy, veiny rope that connects one ass cheek to another. I'm gonna let you guys just put some pieces together there and, and guess what it looks like. And I'm just gonna say that this scene right here made me so uncomfortable, <laughs> and I do not like it. Yeah. So Frank confesses that he's scared that once they're separated, he'll feel lonely. That's so precious. So my question for you, Cam Counselor Lord. Yes, Cam Counselor Tish. Do you think that Frank may have a bit of Stockholm syndrome at this point? <laughs> yes. But I will also say, not Stockholm syndrome-y necessarily, mm-hmm. but I'm a firm believer that distance makes the heart grow fonder or stronger or however that phrase actually goes because my brother and I did not get along until he went to college. Aww. So, you know what, Frank? I think you really need to do this. I also think you both really need therapy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They, oh boy. So Eddie finds no sympathy for Frank and he brings the cleaver down, at which point the first time I watched this, I actually get let out a eep! And they did a great job with the camera work here. All you see is the cleaver coming down and it's in front of the fleshy part, but it's embedded in the cutting board and not in them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Saved by the bell, the phone starts to ring and Frank real quick picks it up. It's Marie asking for another chance and on a date. Frank asks Eddie, what's he doing on Friday? Well, I'm doing whatever you're doing, aren't I, Frank? (laughs) At least he asked. Like, he had the courtesy to be like, are you doing anything? Because I care about your opinion. Yes, very, very polite of him. So we cut to that Friday. Frank is all dressed up, all snazzy. He's caught in his little nose hairs. (laughs) Appreciated. (laughs) Meanwhile, Eddie is in a pair of very filthy looking jammies. Eddie is real gross looking and is still in his pajamas, unshowered. And it's not cute, Eddie. It's not cute. No. And then we have another moment of how the fuck did this happen? Because Eddie tells Frank, tell you what, Frank, I'll wash while you sign. And he opens like the medicine cabinet door and the release form is there in the pen. And it's like, when the fuck did you put that there? Exactly. That's why, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Also note that Frank says Eddie has not showered in a week. How? We never get to see their shower set up. So they have side-by-side toilets that are set up like really close to each other so they can pee side-by-side and I'm assuming poop side-by-side. So I'm wondering, do they have just an extra large shower that has two shower heads and maybe two faucets? And this apartment must be very expensive. I think it's a house. I don't think that could possibly be an apartment. I think they're trust fund babies. They've got to be because it's a really nice place that they live in. But somehow Frank managed to never get showered in all the times that Eddie has showered. And yeah, Eddie is absolutely refusing, even though he smells. I did not get the exact descriptor of what Frank says he smells like, but I think it was something similar to like weak old garbage. I didn't write the quote down, but I remember that when Frank said it, it rhymed and I laughed a lot. And I don't think he rhymed on purpose, (laughs) but like it definitely did. So the date to the symphony was as terrible as you'd imagine. And Eddie said his I bet underneath that blank is a set of leather corset itching to get outlined like two to three different times. Yes. Also, Eddie's in his bedroom slippers. He did not change out of his jammies. He didn't even put on real shoes. He's gropes several women as they walk by. Oh, Eddie. What must it be like to be 
stuck, like physically conjoined to someone like that. Because like, how would like, if Eddie got cancelled, does that mean <laughs> Frank gets cancelled too by proxy? Huh, I guess so. Yeah, dude, just sign the papers, good god. Like, why would you want to be conjoined to this man? He is literally fucking up your life. Yeah. So Marie and Frank try their best to enjoy their date at dinner, which Frank cooked for Marie. They eat a fancy-ass dinner that they're trying to enjoy while Eddie decides he's going to get wasted, which gets Frank drunk. Now, there is this one really weird spot, though, during the dinner that I thought was foreshadowing isn't necessarily the word, but you'll have to help me out with what word I am trying to think of. Sure. So when Marie compliments Frank on his souffle, he says it's easy just separating the egg whites. And it sounds like something, like not euphemism, maybe that's not the word, and not quite foreshadowing, but it's a comparison between the two. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what word I'm looking yeah, for. <laughs> I, my brain is a little, a little bit crispy right now, so I can't think of the word either, but I know what you're talking about. Yes, yes. If you know what word we should be using, write into campcreekpodcast at gmail.com. It's mentioned again that when one brother drinks or does drugs, the other one can feel it, even if it's delayed. Eddie is in a mood, though, and when Marie tells him that she finds Frank's company to be stimulating, he asked her if it's more stimulating than a tank of nitrous oxide in a 12-inch vibrator. Kim Counselor Tish, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit intrigued by at least one of these items. <laughs> Sounds like a pleasant Saturday night to me, but anywho, <laughs> Marie gets up and leaves as I would also if my potential boyfriend's brother said that to me. Frank walks her to the door and he manages to get Eddie behind the other side of the door so that he and Marie can have a moment of privacy to have a good night kiss. Unfortunately, Eddie is watching through the peephole <laughs> like a creep. <laughs> He's a nosy, nosy man. But they get a really nice goodnight kiss. Frank is now unfortunately drunk, so he can't drive her home or anything. She says goodbye. Frank says he's in love. And Eddie says, I know. You fall in love, and I get a boner. So the next scene is, I'm assuming, a few weeks later. Frank and Marie are lying in bed next to each other, and Frank tells her that he's been having a wonderful few weeks. By the way, they're both fully clothed. Oh, yes. I should say, they're laying in bed side by side. From the start of the scene, has the most uncomfortable look on her face. And then her face gets even more uncomfortable as the bed starts moving. Frank advises Marie to do what he does and just let her mind go completely blank. It's kind of hard as the camera pans over and Eddie is having some rough kinky fun with a dom holding a writing crop. Now, just a moment of appreciation for this woman's outfit because I really want it and I have two different shopping carts loaded. So she's got this like leathery PVC bra guard pantheon and then there's like these beautiful gold chains and like a collar and it's so attractive. It's, it's very Tina Turner uh, Beyond the Thunderdome. Well, I want that outfit yeah. in my yep. life. Also, she hot. <laughs> She's real pretty. Uh, I would also hire her. Yes. And speaking of asses, hers is phenomenal in that outfit. Mm. Snaps mm-hmm. for her ass. <laughs> So just need to put that out there. So Frank thinks that this is the perfect time to propose. What the f- 
What the hell, Frank? Just because you've managed to tune all of what is happening to you out does not mean that she can. Like, seriously, what the fuck? It's it's a whole moment. And Marie is like, you know what? I just need a second. And she leaves to go to the restroom for some space. And what I really liked is that the Dom totally stopped the scene. And she was like, I gotta go check on this girl. Yes. Way to have teamwork. Right? That's, that's a way to have girls back. I, I appreciated that moment. So in the bathroom, which is massive, of course. I literally for a second there forgot where they were and I thought it was like a public restroom. That's how big <laughs> like the vanity is in this bathroom. God, I want it. I know. That would be lovely. As it turns out, they do know each other. Eddie hired both of them, but for Marie, it was for a long con on Frank to convince him to sign the release form. Yes, and Eddie wants her to pump it up to get Frank to sign the paperwork so that they, quote, don't have to hoe these streets no more. So the Dom tells Marie that she needs to pump up the jam and I almost expected this to turn into a musical. (laughs) Because that was straight up a song. Yes, it was. So the gals return to the bedroom and Marie says she doesn't think it could work with Frank still attached to Eddie. And it's not like he can do anything about it. Or is there? She's given him that in. She's given it to him and he doesn't take it. And so out the door she goes. Yeah, both of the ladies leave, leaving Eddie handcuffed to the bed and Frank trying to go after Marie. And one more time, I have some questions. So Eddie is handcuffed to the bed. Therefore, Frank cannot run after his lady. Yes. So he tries to figure out where the key is. And now you watch this episode and maybe a couple of campers have watched the episode too. But the way that woman was riding in stuff on Eddie. Yeah. Eddie apparently had the key in his mouth. Yeah. How did he not swallow it? Good mouth control? Maybe he had it clenched between his teeth. Okay. Maybe he, had it, maybe he could have had it under his tongue. I would have accidentally swallowed it. Exactly. So there was, was there a backup? Of, I hope so. There was a ton, because there was a lot of activity going on. Not only is the Dom on top of him, she's got the writing crop at one point, like she was biting his hand and his arm. Like there, there was a lot of activity going on between the two of them. <sighs> Well, more importantly, Eddie does reveal the key is in his mouth. Frank undoes him, runs after Marie, and it's too late. So then the brothers get into a round of fisticuffs, and it's actually pretty impressive and wonderfully choreographed. So I gotta say that my favorite on-screen fight to ever happen, like my favorite on-screen fist fight, is the fight in They Live. Rest in peace, Roddy Piper. I love you. Thank you for that time you told me I was beautiful. Anyways, yes, that is one of my most cherished memories. But that was my favorite fight scene. There is this like eight minute long fist fight that South Park beautifully recreated in an episode. This fight now comes, it's a second. It's a very close second. I was delighted laughing my ass off. Never did I think about what it would look like for two conjoined twins to fist fight. (laughs) It is beautiful. And Frank beats the ever-living crap out of Eddie, which is valid. Very valid. uh, And a long time coming. Frank says he can't live like this anymore. And he finally agrees to sign the form. Now, before Frank is about to 
actually sign the form, the front door opens and guess who appears? Marie! Uh, she reveals that this was all a setup from Eddie and tells Frank everything and that she does love him and she will marry him just the way he is. Yes. And don't have, don't sign the form. Don't do the operation. It's too risky. And it's so wholesome, this moment. Yes. And they hug and they kiss and they're like so in love. The So the fight had t- got taken them all the way into the kitchen and there's this great moment where Frank grabs Eddie's head and slams it into some of the pots that are hanging because they got a real fancy kitchen. Um, <laughs> And they end up uh, up against the kitchen island, which is where the cutting board is, FYI. And Eddie, through this whole romantic moment, is reaching behind him with his hand that still has the handcuffs on it. And he grabs a hold of the cleaver. So it's like, that's just been sitting, like, has that just been sitting there for two weeks? (laughs) Maybe. Marie and Frank are snuggling and they're talking about their future together. And it's so wholesome. Mm -hmm. And while Frank is asking Marie if maybe they want to have children someday, day. Again, they're too occupied and in love at this moment that Marie tenses. Mm. And not because she's scared of the future with Frank, but because Eddie just took the cleaver and shoved it into her back. And now she did. Yes, very much. And Frank has no idea what just happened. He felt her stiffen up and he says, oh, did, did I did I take it too far? And then she starts to fall to the ground dead. It was a very sad moment. So Eddie casually calls 911 as Frank is screaming and crying, hoping that she can still be saved. But she did. She oh, no. really did. She really did. <laughs> Eddie casually calls 911 as Frank is screaming and crying, hoping that she can be saved. But she she really did at this mm-hmm. point. And while he's on the phone with 911, Eddie confesses. Yep, my name's Eddie. I just killed this woman, Marie Hilton. Yep, and this is where we live. I'll just be sitting here. And Frank is just absolutely devastated, Has just doesn't understand what is happening. And Eddie reveals that he's not going to get the death penalty because it would be cruel and unusual punishment because it would also kill Frank. So essentially, whatever happens to him, he understands that Frank, if he goes to prison, Frank is going to have to go with him. And he's hoping that their condition is going to get him off. Mm-hmm. However, Frank reaches another breaking point and starts swallowing pills and mixing it with booze, and Eddie actually tries to stop him. Frank tells Eddie that he is tired of always being the good one, always making the best choices all the time, and eventually, Eddie starts to feel the effects of the pill and booze, and before Frank's portion of the body can feel it, the camera zooms in on the release form. Frank grabs the pen, dips it in Marie's blood, and signs the release. I didn't realize he dipped it in her blood. I think I missed that part. He dipped it in her freaking blood. That's fucking metal, bro. Yeah, holy crap. <laughs> that is some Shakespearean tragedy shit right there. Oh, God. So Eddie wakes up groggy as fuck in the hospital with Frank, and they're still next to each other. Frank seems oddly calm as he's reading his book. And there is a nurse nearby. And you know, Eddie cannot help himself when there is a woman nearby, apparently. So he slaps her on the ass and she gives him a look. You know, the look. Yes. We all know the look. And she happily announces, though, that he must be feeling well enough for visitors. And she pulls the curtain and reveals the cops on the other side. The cops start reading Eddie his rights, and Eddie turns his head to Frank and is like, hello, well, they don't know we're attached, so there's nothing they can do for me. But, oh, 
they're not connected anymore. Yeah, this is beautifully done. I give it the cinematography in this episode. I was a really big fan of how they did a lot of the shots. And so we get a nice bird's eye view. So above from the ceiling and you can see them side by side in their bed and they pull Eddie's bed away. And that's when you they reveal that they're no longer conjoined. Take that. Yes, they had they had a joint blanket covering them. So no, like this was so, I was like, whoever agreed to this, I mean, ethically speaking as a medical professional, not the most ethical thing to do, but I support these decisions. <laughs> yes. Frank deserved this moment of joy. He did. And Frank pulls up his hospital gown to reveal the bandages and says that he signed the release and they had the surgery. And Frank says that they're now free or quote, or at least I am. Eddie is having a bad time over there on his little yes. portion of the bed. Yes, they drag Eddie away and he's screaming, screaming bloody murder for Frank. And Frank just says, yells back that he'll do the living for the both of them. No worries. Parts of Eddie's personality, though, did rub off a little bit on Frank because Frank takes Eddie's line and says to the nurse, Nurse, you know, under that crisp white uniform, I'm thinking there's a studded leather corset just itching to come out. Am I right? (sighs) Then we get back to the crypt. And I honestly thought the crypt keeper was wearing a judge's outfit. Turns out it was a black, basically what looks like an infinity scar. Basically, the crypt keeper is a hipster. Yes. Well, and it doesn't help. He was, I thought he was holding a gavel. But then when I rewatched on Lauren's TV, I was like, oh, no, that's just a mallet. It's just a mallet. And the crypt keeper smashes a mirror next to him. I do enjoy that fact that he called it a cheeky little tail. I see what you did there, sir. I see what you did there. (laughs) That's a twofer. And that was this week's episode. Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? Are you looking to fill your library up? Well, then you found me. Hi, my name is Michaela and I'm the host of Murder Squared. Here we talk about the solved, the unsolved, the missing, the murdered, and pretty much anything and everything in between. Murder Squared is available on all major podcasting platforms. So if you're ready, get squared away and let's talk murder. Right, and it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Who's That Ghoul? This is a very exciting Who's That Ghoul. We have some horror royalty in here, so to speak. I've actually met one, potentially two of the people in this Who's That Ghoul. So I was watching it and I'm like, man, why does that person look familiar? Why does that person look familiar? Why does that person look so familiar? And I found out. But first, we're going to get to the director. All right. This episode was directed by Peter Seaman. This is his only directing credit, but his writing credits are pretty impressive. He is credited as writing the screen place for this episode, along with one of, I think, one of our highly rated episodes for Crying Out Loud, the one we did with Steve. Yes. Yeah, I really liked that episode. But also he wrote the screenplays for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. My heart. Yes. And speaking of special guests, that is actually Brian's, one of Brian's favorite movies. Oh, that's so precious. Yes. Also, he wrote the screenplay for Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Listen, so many people hate on that movie, and I just want to say, you're all wrong, motherfuckers. You're all wrong. It's It's, beautiful. It's a delightfully 
really cheesy, delicious movie. I, li- <laughs> I like it. He also wrote the Jim Carrey live action version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Which is my favorite. It's a good film. And Shrek the Third. Uh, which I think is the one with Justin Timberlake. Uh, is he Prince Charming? Maybe. I'm trying to remember. So I watched that one in San Diego. San Diego? Sh- yeah. It's a, lo- it's a long story. <laughs> I, that's my memory of it was I conned my ex-husband who was paying for the room. We were not married at the time. I convinced him to put it on his room service bill because he's like, you want to watch a movie? I was like, yeah. And I think he thought I was going to pick something spicy. I was like, let's watch Shrek the Third. <laughs> I can 100% see this <laughs> happening and I love it. <laughs> Oh boy. All right. So then we get into the actors and Frank is played by Timothy Stack. Timothy Stack is an actor of TV and film who got his start in the early 80s on TV with some small guest roles like on Days of Our Lives, Benson, Laverne and Shirley, Night Court, The Golden Girls. Yes. And then he started to get bigger roles. He was Mr. Chillings on the live action Punky Brewster. This one kind of made my heart go, I didn't know this. He was the voice of Lampy and Zeke in The Brave Little Toaster. (laughs) In In all of the sequels, he came back to reprieve the voice of Lampy, who I remember being a little bit of a dick. Okay. He played Mr. Lewis on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He was Dick Dietrich on Night stand and Notch Johnson in Son of the Beach. Oh, and he played himself in My Name is Earl. Literally. He- <gasps> I love My Name is Earl! Yes, that was, it was a running, he was he was in quite a few episodes and he literally played, or actor Timothy Stack. That's who he played on My Name is Earl. Hmm. Yes, he played himself. So that is Timothy Stack. You could really say that he stacked up those IMDb credits. Hey-o. No regrets. <laughs> All right. And the next one is Eddie. And I kept the whole thing, kept staring at Eddie being like, I know this guy. I swear to God, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? It's because I've met him. I've met him on numerous occasions. I've had many conversations with him. Eddie is played by Jonathan Stark. And if you are a horror fanatic, you may know writer, actor, and producer Jonathan Stark as Billy Cole from Fright Night, aka Jerry Dandridge's quote-unquote roommate (laughs) or manservant or potentially lover. Listen, even Chris Sarandon and Jonathan Stark themselves have both said no one quite understood what the relationship was supposed to be with them, but they both suspected that they may have been lovers. Also, He's Charlie from House 2. <gasps> yes. House 2 terrified me. Yes. I want to watch it again because they're both on Shudder. At least they were recently. But I I don't know if I can do it right? alone. Well, we can watch them together. Yay! So as a writer, he's written for TV shows like Cheers, The Nanny, Ellen, and According to Jim. And he's also served as executive producer on those shows and many more. So kudos to Jonathan Stark. And I know he, at least pre-COVID, was doing a lot of conventions. So if you're a convention junkie like I used to be pre-COVID, you may or may not have met him. Uh, Yes, I am dying to go back to conventions. I'm just not ready yet. Campers, we actually have a goal for the next time we go to a convention. Yes, we do. So if you guys remember, we posted a photo that our dear friend Bethany drew for us. And what it is, is... 
The Crypt Keeper is in the center, and Camp Counselor, Tish, and myself are on the other side, and we're drinking a, like, strawberry milkshake with eyeballs floating in it. And what we want to do is recreate that photo with John Kassir. Yep. So bad. So bad. Yeah. It's a goal we will achieve, dagnabbit. Yes, it's on the board. So next we have Marie, who is, again, I thought... This gal looks kind of familiar. Yes. She has a pretty iconic horror cred that is definitely in one of my favorite horror films. She plays Susie Banyan in Dario Argento's Suspiria. <gasps> oh. Yes. And I was like, when I realized, I was like, shut up. No. And I did actually attend the Suspiria reunion at Texas Frightmare a few years ago where I got to meet Dario and as many of the cast as I could. And I cannot remember if I met her. Because I could only pay, like, I could only afford so many autographs. It was a tight budget. I had to fly out to Texas. Oh, um, I was on a very tight budget. And uh, Dario was my number one priority. But I did make my way. Of course, I had to hit on Udo Kier. If you know who Udo is, mm. Much he's got Crypt Keeper eyes. Oh. He's a dreamboat man, and when he locks eyes with you, oof. But I've got to say, all of the women from that movie still gorgeous, still <laughs> so beautiful. Everyone I'm, everyone I met from the cast of Suspiria was so lovely. We'll say she was in the remake, which I haven't been able to bring myself to watch. I've been told it's really good by some people. Some people like it's trash, and I'm just like, I don't know. I like the original, but she played Unk in the remake. So speaking of special guests, I watched the remake with Brian's fantastical wife, Sadie Tate. I think she's one that told me she liked it. I thought it was really long. I liked it, <laughs> but I definitely, like, I can't focus on something that many hours. I can focus on things like Lord of the Rings. For some reason, I couldn't. I got real bored near the middle. Like, yeah. are we done yet? I mean, the original's a slow burn film, so I, I can I can see that. Other notable credits, she played Janet Majors in Shock Treatment, <gasps> the Rocky Horror Picture Show sequel. Yes! <laughs> yep. And she was Anne Lively in The Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Oh. The one where they predict crime, where they arrest people for crimes before they happen. Oh. So next we have The Doctor, who's played by Ron Orbach. He's another actor of TV and film, a lot of credits under his name, but the most notable is, I want to say he played Nick Niedermeyer on Family Matters. Hmm. He had a recurring role as Max Hellman on Law and & Order. And my favorite, what I recognized him from, he's the DMV type in Clueless. Is he? The one who fails Cher. Yes. Beautiful. And final credit of note, we have the detective from the very end, Charles Stransky. He's primarily a Broadway actor, but he's done some TV and film. As I was scrolling through his credits, I did note that he played Dr. Delano on All My Children in 2007. Hey! Is it spelled the same way as yours? Uh, it is. It's with a lowercase L instead of uppercase. I'm going to pretend it's uppercase. Right. But he did two CBS school break sessions. I was wondering, like, you haven't said any this episode yet. What the fuck? I know. So, his two specials. He did My Past is My Own, where he played Alfred Wainwright. That is about two black teenagers are sent through time to experience how African Americans were treated through the civil rights movement. Then we have And Words to Live By, where he played the sheriff, which I believe we may have referenced before. Two teenage boys are suspended from school after distributing an underground newspaper on campus. I swear we I've did. said that one before. 
I don't know who was in it because I was too lazy to check. But that is this week's Who's That Ghoul? A doot doot. And now the important question. Camp Counselor Tish. Yes, Camp Counselor Lauren. Did you like this episode? I did. I feel like this episode is another one that really embodies what I think of when I think of Tales from the Crypt. A heaping handful of cheese and a heaping handful of horror and just like mm, meshing them together. You know, there were the, some of the super sitcom, there were a couple like super sitcom moments like the running gag of the hidden release. Like I said, the things that I didn't like about some previous episodes, which is which was, I felt like the whole episode was just nothing but the sitcom gags. But this I felt like it was a nice mixture. Same with like the last episode. Like this style is what I think of when I think of Tales from the Crypt. Gotcha. So yes, I give it two severed thumbs up. Good acting, good writing, good directing. I like the cinematography. Pew! <laughs> so Camp Counselor Lauren, did you like the episode? So I'm also going to give it two severed thumbs up. And here are some of my notes that didn't make any sense during the episode review portion. I'm going <laughs> to tell you now. So I think about this episode every time I see the Citibank identity theft commercial. Do you know which one I'm talking about? No. Okay, so I'll play it for you. Okay. But for you campers listening, once upon a time, Citibank had this commercial with identity theft. And in this particular one, there is a guy sitting in a chair and he's kind of gross. And what it is, is that there's a voiceover that's speaking for him. And it's this girl's voice. And she says, $1,500 for a leather bustier? I don't care. It lifts and separates. I think about this commercial a lot. So I enjoyed it. And then their dynamic of the brothers Frank and Eddie, it reminds me a lot of the brothers in Two and a Half Men. That's what I imagine those two would be like if I could think of either of their names. Charlie Sheen and John Cryer. Is that who it is? That's the actor's names. Yes. Yeah, I remember Charlie Sheen, but I couldn't think of John Cryer's. And I'm sorry, but campers, y'all know who I am with names. I'm not good at them. <laughs> and I know he was in one of those 80s movies. That was a big deal. So yeah, two separate thumbs up. I enjoyed how cheesy it was. And yeah, those are my thoughts. Good, good horror elements. Alrighty, campers. Camp Creep Podcast is a Joy Road Media podcast. Check out the other great ones from Joy Road Media, such as Dead Waves, You Made Me Watch, Truthcast, The Burt Selleck Show, and Great Lakes Confidential. Available wherever you found this podcast. And if you want to support the show, you should follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us online on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Camp Creep Podcast and on our Twitter at Camp Creep Pod. And always feel free to shoot us an email at campcreeppodcast at gmail.com. And as always, campers, creep it real.